Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This is our third and final part of our interview with Pat Davidson. On this final part, we get into what Pat considers to be the biggest mistakes that he's learned from so far in his career, Pat's top advice to all the listeners, and so much more. So hope you guys really enjoy this final part of uh, my interview with Pat Davidson. Pat, so we'll, we'll wrap this baby up with a few, with a few last questions. Uh, one I always like to get people to answer is, in terms of the uh, biggest mistakes you've made so far in your career, what, what have they been and what have you learned from them? Huh. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think for me, just, um, that's a, that's a great question. Maturity is a big one. Like if you get to know me, I'm like a total jackass in real life. Like the, like I can't go two seconds without making like some inappropriate joke. You know what I mean? Like it's just, uh, it's just kind of who I am when I'm, when I'm comfortable and I'm having fun, like I'm just the biggest meathead clown you'll ever meet. Like, I just want to constantly tell dirty jokes and, like, fart and uh, and just be annoying and just clown around. And I think that, like, I had to learn time and place for that. Like, you can bro out in certain circumstances, and then other times you have to, like, rein it in. So, so that's been a big learning curve piece, just uh, time and place and appropriate behaviors and appropriate circumstances. And then the other thing is like, I'm the kind of person that when I learn something new, that's like remarkable, I'll go so all in on that and focus on it so much that I can lose touch of other things. And, um, and basically I've just learned like, you know, if, if you, you have to, in this field, keep the focus on fitness and, uh, and, and it, you know, I kind of started it off with that, but I've been guilty of like being hyper cognitive with movement and hyper aware with movement during training sessions. And at a certain point, like training and rehab need to be completely separated as far as they possibly can away from each other. Like rehab is cognitive and it's forebrain. And it's like cortex based in the brain where you're completely aware of what you're doing and it's very conscious and deliberate and you're finding and feeling things and you're, uh, you know, creating like proper synchronous firing strategies. Um, training is subconscious and training is hindbrain and training is primitive and reflexive and animalistic and uh and and those two things i think need to be different from each other they need to be highly differentiated and it's like the blur comes in learning you know new people you ask me that question they need to learn and once something's learned now you can train and you're going to train subconsciously so it's like fitness is training and rehab is consciousness and awareness. And it's like they merge and blend a little bit, but overall they really need to be very separate from one another 
so that you can actually maximize each and develop each. And I think I think that's a great take-home message that that a lot of people need to understand in this game. Great stuff, man! Congratulations on your on your marriage now next Saturday. I, I hope uh, I hope your your uh, soon-to-be wife has no problem with you farting in the same room as her. She usually laughs at that kind of stuff, which is, <laughs> is good indicators. That's that's true love, then, Pat. I agree. Yeah, there's definitely like biomarkers and indicators of things. That's wonderful. <laughs> your micro your microbiome is uh, is uh, kicking on like. Uh, another question I'd love you to, to touch on is in terms of um, your top advice to any of the coaches listening, be they young coaches or, or more experienced coaches in terms of years in the profession, what are your top tips and your top advice to, to anyone listening? And it, does, it doesn't have to be just coaching or professional advice, it can be life advice as well. I would say that the number one thing that you're going to have to battle is dogmatism. And, uh, you know, there's like I, I got done reading a couple of great books, and uh, they were both by Siddhartha Murkiji. I think I pronounced that right, but he's a he's a physician at um, Mass General Hospital in Boston. And the two books I read were uh, The Emperor of All Maladies, which is the biography of cancer. So it takes you through the complete scientific understanding of cancer. And the second book was called The Gene and Intimate History. Now, these are just, they're, they're phenomenal books. This guy is so brilliant. It's, it's really incredible. Um, but one of the quotes in that was, I don't remember which cancer doctor it was, but like you go through the history of, of cancer research and medicine, and you talk about like contentious people, like geniuses who were combative with one another in, you know, I'm right and you're wrong kind of mentality. But, but one of them ultimately just said, um, in God we trust and all others must bring data. And, uh, and, and I think that's um, actually a pretty good approach to this fighting dogmatism concept that I think people need to get into. Like, don't get married to a system. Don't get married to a model. Don't get married to a belief. Like, you know, the closest thing, like we're all in search of the truth. Like, and it's just like the tricky thing is what the hell is the truth? And, and in this case, it's like the truth that we're all searching for is generally like, what's the best way to develop the physical characteristics of the human organism? And, uh, and, and like, you know, people are like, they're always touting themselves as like, I'm evidence-based. And the only things that I do are the things that come from evidence-based practice. So, I'm going to wait for every research article in the world to guide me. And it's kind of like, okay, well, you have to appreciate that, that research will attempt to generalize data that was collected on testing a specific population. But if you're actually going to develop people, like it's always N equals one. And it's like you, you, your best bet is to collect data on that person and try different things and see what actually develops the key uh, data points as best as you can. And, and I kind of gave some hints like I think you, you're going to want to take a look at their genome. It's totally doable now. Um, and you mentioned a key word, a microbiome. You know, we're going to have like the ability to sequence everyone's microbiome at this point, basically like another 
another genomic uh, sequencing strategy. Like, how do you like how do you put a diet program together for people? Well, number one, don't become all dogmatic and say like I'm a paleo guy or I'm a you know if it fits your macros guy or I'm a this. It's like how about you actually like weigh them, get a body weight. How about you take a blood test and and how about you take a look at like a test that would look at allergens? How about you take a look at their microbiome numbers with a with a sample? How about you look at their genome with a sample and then try interventions and then literally witness how the data points change and let the data guide you as opposed to your belief in something. Um, so like it's a scientific method. If you're not following empiricism, you're following a belief. You might as well believe in like that Santa Claus has this mystery list that, that, that shows you the magical training formula and nutrition formula. Everyone is their own individual science project that you're trying to make good decisions for as a coach. And, and if you aren't making informed decisions, you're, you're kind of, um, I, I don't know, like you're, you're, you're in like the middle ages and you're, you're, you're saying that the, I, I don't know. Like, I think people are understanding what I'm saying if they listen to this, but, but stop just dogmatically following a guru or, um, a belief system, like measure things and educate yourself to a very high degree and understand things like emergent theories and, um, and, and underlying structures and foundations and, and just the, the actual adaptations that take place from, from physiology and anatomy. Like don't get stuck, be your own person, be your own, your own scientific, uh, evaluation system. Yeah. I mean, people are probably, at this stage, they're so used to me hearing saying this, hearing me say this over and over again. I always say, think for yourself. If there's one message I ever want anyone to take away when they have an interaction with me, it is that I want people to always think for themselves. Have enough courage to think for yourself and come to your own conclusions. Never, ever, ever blindly accept what anyone tells you. And then I always make sure I say this too, including me. <laughs> Including what, yeah. including what I've just said to you over these last few minutes, if I've been speaking for a few minutes or if I deliver a seminar, I'm always like, think for yourself, always be your own person, have enough courage to come to your own conclusions. And then I always usually mention one of my favorite essays of all time, which is Self-Reliance by Waldo Emerson, which to me is one of the greatest writings ever, where he just basically says, don't be a fucking conformist because people tell you to conform. If your heart says to go right and 99% of everyone else is going left, you better follow your fucking heart or else you're basically a coward. And, mm. and, and you know, you're just going to essentially, you, you're like, and that's, and I suppose it's kind of like, there's a book too called the, uh, the, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about this idea of resistance. And one of the opening lines in the books, it's fucking brilliant. He says in the book, people live, people have two lives, the lives they're meant to live and the lives that they do live. And he says, the majority of people live the lives that they do live instead of the lives they're meant to live. And he says the only thing that's in between the two of them is resistance. And AKA people call that fear. So and again it goes back and that goes back to people just, you know, wanting to be 
accepted and and you know loved and whatnot and not having enough courage to step outside and say no this is what i truly believe and to think for themselves and to empower themselves and as you said almost be their own scientists so exactly i 100 agree on that and um, like never never make someone a guru and it's funny because I teach in a college, Pat, and you, you've also taught at Springfield. You, you taught at a much higher level than me. I only teach at a, I teach at a personal training college, not the university. Yeah, it's and all, I, it's, it's, per, it's perception. Yeah, and uh, by the way, so, and, and just, 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 just as I said that in my mind, yeah. I, I, I voice went, what do you mean it's only a personal training college? It's, it's as important as any, any other education. Now, because I don't want to belittle the, the, the students I've taught. I, I've loved every single student I've had so far in my time there. But, um, but even even sometimes when, when I start to relate this type of information to the students, like for instance, last in the last class we had one guy said to me, "Oh, I, 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 he says I paid to spend a day with you. I'd love to. You're so knowledgeable on this." And I, I straight away come up and said, "Don't do that. Don't do what you don't do what you're doing. You're not you're putting me on a pedestal and you're making me better than you. Don't do that. I'm a human being just like you. We we are brothers in the universe together and we're as equal as everyone else around us right now. That's what we don't want to do." This is where all this fucking mis miscommunication or assumptions come in, like and not going off a complete. Actually, we're, we're, we've we've gone into deeper shit already, but like to me, that, that's that's like if Jesus Christ and whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether whether Jesus was an actual human or whether he's just an analogy in the story that someone made up, his message still holds true. Like if, if there was a Jesus and he did come back, I think he'd come back and he'd be like, "What the fuck? Like this this is not what I take down those fucking statues." Like. Uh, I was trying to say that we're all divine. We're all children of the universe. Use the word God if you want, whatever the fuck. Universe, God, all the same thing for me, really. Like he was just trying to say, we, we all have un, like we, we all have unreal potential within us. We're all in this together. We're all kids of the universe. Like the, the gurus are only made because people elevate people to that level. So again, all this is distilling down to just think for yourself, which is what you will to. So I just love when when I interview people and they're at that sort of same process of you know just have enough courage think for yourself be your own person don't be conformist listen to your heart and um, because and then i always usually end off saying because if you don't we're going to end up like fucking situations like nazi germany all over again and that shit isn't good like so uh this has been great man i think this is probably as much fun as as i've ever had on one of these podcasts <laughs> i'm telling you it's because us irish we've got such loose tongues like you can swear and fart and fucking shit on these things i don't care no one's taking it's my show so you can do what you want and you can get into any topic you want because i suppose like you uh, there's obviously a, a kindred spirit between the two of us in terms that we we definitely have this this god this love for everything that is in existence you know so and i know there's people that say listen you, you can't be you know and everything but like my bookshelves probably like yours like medical textbooks and mm. you know everything from medicine to psychology to child development to obviously strength and condition and physical preparation to I have a book that i'm looking at right now and the title is what is death you know mm. speak, speaking about what what is death like what, what do you think happens you know so i, I read everything because and then people always kind of say the, the big thing lately is what's your why like what is your why to be honest yeah. my, my why is just what i said there to you my why i think is to be a leader is is to is to live like a spiritual person and to me a spiritual person is somebody who takes responsibility for what they create moment to moment and what i what i would love my why is to empower people to again think for themselves and to reach their highest level of potential so that they can they can uh they can achieve their highest level of contribution in the world that that, that to me would be my why and this is why i do this podcast too like obviously one is a selfish reason because i can get cool dudes like you on for almost two hours but then i can put this information forward and hopefully something we said today could have fucking changed someone's life you don't know like it's 
you, know, you, know, you never know the impact you're making, really. You don't, you know, and, and you know, I'll, I'll shut up quick because we've probably been going on so long and like, oh, it, uh, it's, it, it's, it's all great because I divide this into two parts, so it just gives me more oh, material. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, that's that's good because I was going to say, if anybody manages to stick with us for this long, like, A, they got problems. <laughs> or like, B, they're just like, you know, another one of us. And who needs more of us? But anyways, it's, it's like, you know, it just... You know, somebody says things that remind you of ten other different things, and uh, you know, I think I think one of the books that was really is is influential on me in terms of my, my overall thought process and anything is actually uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I, I have I'm staring at it right now, Robert Pierce. You get I've I've, I've only read three quarters of the way through, so don't ruin the end. <laughs> I, I definitely won't. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of talked about, like, the teaching. And I love teaching. I love being in the classroom. I love I love dealing with students. And, um, yeah, me too. You know, it's kind of like I – it's it's so funny. Like, you know, I, I think that in high school, in, like, middle school, high school, like, I, I really didn't have – I, like, seriously didn't understand what work ethic actually was. Like, I really had no conception of it. Like, I couldn't – I never did homework. I never, like, actually studied for anything. But I still passed. So I just figured, okay, that's what I want to do because all I really want to do is play sports anyways. Like, it's just – none of this stuff matters. And then uh, I got to college, and I had no work ethic. And college was actually hard. And I literally failed all of my classes my first semester. Like, I, you know, I didn't really show up because I could get away with everything in high school. But I – like all of a sudden, like the, the game had changed and I couldn't actually keep up. And, uh, and it, it was this weird moment where I actually realized like, oh my God, I have to actually read the book when I'm not in the classroom to be able to pass the test. Huh. And, um, and I mean, as stupid as that sounds, it's kind of unbelievable. But in, in, in middle school and high school, like, I was such a pain in the ass for any teacher that really had to deal with me, uh, you know. And then in college, like, I'm sitting there. I was never – I've never been the kind of person that sits in the front row. Like, I've always been in the back row, and I've always just kind of had a chip on my shoulder and stuff like that. And um, – but eventually for me, like, I actually figured out, like, you know, I think I'm actually a smart human being. Like, I think compared to other – people i'm actually probably smarter than than most other people that i've sat in a classroom with and that i can learn things at a pretty fast rate and synthesize them pretty well like that was like a big moment where i was like i guess there are differences in that capability just as there would be in sports and i think i actually kind of got some kind of a gift in that way and if i don't utilize that then i'm like really really I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, that's just dumb. Like, I'm, I, I'd, I'd be an idiot to not do that. But I, I still have always had the personality of being the kid that sits in the back of the classroom and, like, would rather not take notes and goof off. And, like, so anyways, I get to the point where I'm actually teaching. And, uh, and I definitely related to the kids that clearly hated school more than I related to the students that were, like, your you know, hand raised at every question students. Like I really like the kids that had bad attitudes. Um, and, and the funny thing is like they, they kind of, some of the students like coined the term that I would activate the sleeper cell soldiers. 
And um, and I think that's kind of what happened. And, and it, it remind. And then I, you know, after I had been teaching, I read that book Zen and the and the art of my motorcycle maintenance. And that book, more than probably any other book I've ever read, kind of gave me my why on on things. And um, because it's like it just zoomed so far out, and like it talks about like the you know Greek philosophers and people that have like that are spending their time trying to think of like what's the point of all of this and can i be as exact as i possibly can in my descriptions of things and my appraisals of things and to me it was like i i resonate with that like that hits me and strikes a chord and i really like i just enjoy thinking about things and trying to define things and like very simple things for the most part um, and then actually try to put the pieces together. I, I think I actually like my why is that I love solving puzzles, but not like, you know, jigsaw puzzles. Like I just like thinking about mostly the human organism. Like that's my puzzle. I just think it's the most intricate and beautiful and fascinating puzzle of all time. And, and it's like, you know, I, I love I love Doug Kachigian and his writing and his interviews because he's so purely no bullshit and no nonsense and to the point. And I'm probably the exact opposite in some ways. Like I will stretch things and go to the edges and the extremes and be very roundabout. Uh, and, and one of the things I love about Doug's message is, you know, he recently did a, a presentation. I saw a little excerpt of it. And he was like, you know, in the, in the performance world, a lot of coaches are, their book recommendations will be like Sapolsky or they'll be like these very esoteric kind of theoretical things. And it's like, you know, guys in the field should probably read training books. Like, have you read, you know, he, he was, he was citing, um, James Smith's, uh, sprinting book, applied sprint training. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think of like other classical training books like you you better read like triphasic training and you better read Boyle's book and you better read Verstagen's book and you better read these very foundational training books okay and and like I think you should probably read the Russian training manuals as well and you should probably read like all of those those like and, and I've done that. I, like, that's kind of where I started. I, I, I really hammered through the training recommendation books. And, and at a certain point, you just get to the to where it's like, all right, look, I've read pretty much all the training books that exist. And I, I've read them to the point where the redundancy of the message has been driven through my head super hard. And, and it's like now I'm looking to branch out and and learn about things that I don't know about mainly again like return on investment stuff if I read another training book I'm gonna spend weeks reading the book and the return on investment is I might learn one new thing versus like if I read a book on uh, cancer and I learn all of the the pathophysiology associated with that and I learn about the like the cancer genome uh, sequencing stuff, 
and tumor necrosis factors and environmental signals on what activates cancer and makes it grow uh, and how cancer is sort of a mirror to normal human physiology and normal genome sequencing. Like I'm going to learn about things that I have no clue about. And my return on investment learning wise is going to be monumental. And, um, and it's going to turn me on to all these new topics that I don't really know anything about that I'm going to learn huge amounts from. And the more I can learn, the more I can integrate with previous knowledge and gain a better picture on this theoretical puzzle that I'm trying to solve. And it's like, why am I doing that? Like, I have no idea why. I just know that that's what I love. Like, that's the, those are like the keys of the piano of the universe that my soul likes the sound of and that seem to just kind of like vibrate with my inner energy. And the more that I tap into trying to explore that, the more like I feel like I'm just getting in sync with with what actually makes me happy and what allows me to to just feel like a worthwhile person existing here. Um, and like that that Zen and, and that Zen book, man, like it's just the coolest message and um, and just really interesting big picture analysis of things. Great stuff, absolutely great stuff. The cancer thing is interesting too. Uh, have you ever read any of the stuff by William Donald Kelly or Nicholas Gonzalez or any of them boys? I haven't. I haven't yet. I mean, I really this this one was my first first dip into that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like again, I like anything. Suppose there's people who think that fucking the lads were complete absolute quacks, but like I, I always like Gonzalez. He only actually died last year. Gonzalez had a heart attack in his fifties. He was actually quite a young man. Uh, William Kelly died in 2005 in the 70s, like, but the story and background of it is quite interesting. But again, some people say they're quacks, some people say that they fucking saved people's lives. And, like, people went in with stage four pancreatic cancers and their treatment saved them all. Brzezinski is another really interesting guy if you haven't seen that. He, there's a there's two part documentary on Brzezinski. Part one is free on YouTube now, it's like two hours long, and that one's fucked up. Like, the FDA actually tr literally tried to shut him down and then steal and patent his fucking treatment. Oh, I'm not surprised. So, I like, mean, it's, uh, like, as in the, like, the, the FDA, right, they brought him to, like, the Supreme Court or, or whatever it was, some high level court, like, four or five times. And and every time they went there, the judge, like, the judges basically said to them, so you, you're not suing this guy for the efficacy of his treatment. And they were like, oh, no, no, we, we, we know it works. We know it's, it's an unreal treatment. Uh, we're just suing him because he hasn't got the license for it uh, or whatever in Texas. And they were like, well, two things. First of all, this is ridiculous if, if you know that it works. Like, it's immoral, basically, that, you know, yeah. it works in Tristan. But second of all, yeah, he does have a license. So they threw that, like, five times, and they went back and said, oh, it was just madness. Well, it's, like, when you get into this stuff, like, the, you know, it's uh, science, where we currently are at with science is mind-blowing. You know, like, uh, we do, in fact, have the technological capacity right now to genetically modify and engineer a human being. Yeah. Like, and, and we're, it's like we're literally close to the point where we could take the cells of your body and introduce a, a chemical sequence to them and literally reverse 
the developmental stages of embryology and return a cell to being an embryological stem cell. Like, we, yeah, we have that capability yeah. and knowledge. Yeah. Um, like I, they, I, I, I was talking about this with a friend about last month or five, six weeks ago, and two of us were discussing this, and we were saying, like, this, this is, like, going to be... Like we were saying, what's going to fucking happen? This this superhuman race, we're gonna we're gonna make this superhuman race, and they're gonna wipe us out, like because like because yeah. we're we're gonna like start turning genes on and off, and like we'll make this super race, and it'll be the end of us, then that we will be the inferior species. We're, we're all like, this would be a cool movie, because we we were basically saying like uh, we were talking about this, and other people were kind of like, oh, I don't know if we can do that, and I was like, listen, they're doing it to fucking GMO foods, like a, yeah. a, a plant is an organism, like us, of course it is. But like I, I was saying, what's end, what's probably going to end up happening is like it'll get to a technology where they're like, oh shit, your child has Down syndrome. Like the embryo looks like it has the genetic code for Down syndrome. But if we go in now and just turn this gene on and off, it'll yep. be it'll be a normal kid. Like they're well, going to make superhuman kids and all this shit. Well, the process, like I, like the fact that it exists is cool. But I think the actual process is even more interesting yeah. when you get into how they do it. So so what they'll do is, um, you know. I can, like, the, the real end stage of this stuff is that you're trying to genetically modify a germ cell, which will become sperm or egg. Yeah. Because if I can genetically modify human germ cells, now I've created permanently inheritable traits that are part of the human, human gene pool. Okay, so how would I actually do that? That's kind of the interesting question. So the way that I would do it is, is as follows. Like I would take a, I can take an, I would probably start with an embryological stem cell and because it has the fewest number of epigenetic markers on it that, that have individualized and specialized that cell to be, let's say a liver cell or a pancreas cell or whatever. But I actually could take an adult intestinal cell and add something called uh, CMIC, which is a, a genetic uh, chemical, and then it would be three other chemicals, but I would reverse what's called the Waddington landscape and actually take it from, a, from an intestinal cell and through a sequentially backwards process of time, turn it back into an embryological stem cell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I would get a, to the point where I have an embryological stem cell. Now, if I actually want to specifically modify a part of your genomic sequence, what I would do is I would take bacterial cells and I would introduce the bacteria to the portion of your genome that I'm looking to modify. And a bacterial cell has a two-part system called the seeker and the hitman. So the seeker, uh, the a bacterial seeker protein copies whatever genome is introduced to it in its visible activity, and it creates a mirror genomic sequence. And then the hitman protein uh, goes in and confronts the, the genomic sequence that the seeker holds the mirror to. The hitman contains a protein that slices open the helix at that specific segment of the genomic sequence, and it opens and unravels that specific segment. Now, at that point in time, I would introduce 
foreign DNA to the cell that I'm working on, okay? The foreign DNA would only be able to move into the genome at the segment that the hitman opened up. And then uh, when a genome is opened, when I unravel the two helixes from one another, there is a, the, in physics, you have the conservation of information law. And the gene is forced to, to participate in the conservation of inter, in information. So you'll have one chromosome left intact that the open gene will try to copy so that it can put itself back together again and conserve information. If I introduce foreign DNA, it will unwittingly copy the foreign DNA at that time and simply put itself back together again in this new genomic sequencing. Like, we can do that. Like, I can make a glow-in-the-dark rabbit by introducing jellyfish DNA uh, to the segment that would represent, like, uh, skin and fur uh, with my seeker-hitman combo of, of bacterial uh, cutting. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we can, we can do it with a rabbit. I can grow an ear on the back of a mouse through the same strategy. I can do that to a human being if I know how to do these scientific techniques. And if I go ahead and I actually modify the components of a, an embryo, embryonic stem, stem cell and I convert it into a, a germ cell, and I've modified the genome of that sperm cell, I have permanently altered the human race. And we can do that. We can 100% do that. And the first study that attempted the beginnings of that was conducted in China in 2015 uh, with, with rather poor laboratory techniques, but they started it. And because they started it, it's the, 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 the Pandora's box of that world is open. So we will see a genetically modified human pop up. It might be from an underground laboratory in China, and we'll, we'll start seeing these people probably in the Olympics in, in 16 years or so. But it's, it's happening. And at the same time, what we also have is the, um, the robotics intervention and like nanotechnology and the advances in, um, in prosthetics. So... It's not as if it's just going to be genetically modified organisms. It's also going to be, uh, in truth, like robotics and high-level uh, integrated prosthetics being introduced to the species as well. So it's highly likely that whatever we think is going to happen in the future, uh, whatever humans become will be almost unrecognizable compared to, to today's organic species oh religious people are losing their shit right now yeah they are and again there's your dogma that we have to fight and, and again like i'm not saying that like genetically modified humans is good or bad or that like essentially cyber beings are good or bad and the other piece is that we we do know how to kind of like plug a human brain into a computer and then if you start taking multiple human brains and plugging them into the same computer, now you're talking about like group consciousness and we don't really know what that's going to be. 
but we are at this ridiculous crossroads of um, of technology interfacing with the genome and the environment, and uh, and where that's going to go again as entropy becomes more and more uh, prevalent and the world becomes more unpredictable. There's no way to know what's next, other than that it's going to be very different from today, and it's going to be very different from anything that you think it's going to be. Just a side note on that. Did you hear about this thirty-year-old uh, Russian man? He's he, he's uh, signed up to be the first man to uh, to let a to let a surgeon do the first head transplant. So this, no, I haven't heard about that. This, this surgeon, Doctor Sergio Cavaro, he he's an Italian surgeon. He works in New York, though I think. But uh, this guy, he, he wants to take basically cut off this guy's head and stick it on an another body, completely other body. The, the guy is like terminally ill. This thirty-year-old, he signed up for it. But where did he get in the body? I wonder. But I don't know. But it's uh, it's funny too because like I googled it just there to because I remembered I googled it and what came up was a fucking religious website slating this guy for doing it. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing that's kind of crazy is um. You know, they like there's some scientists that want to bring Neanderthals back, and uh, mainly because it's very likely that that the Homo sapien is the result of the demise of the Neanderthal. Yeah. So it's like these weird ethical quandaries, like, hey, is it our ethical responsibility to bring these things back since we caused their extinction, or should they just be extinct? Like, what's right, and what's wrong, and like at the end of the day, like, who gives a fuck? Like, it would just be kind of cool to see a Neanderthal on this planet, in my opinion. But, like, we've got their genome sequenced, and we can build a, um, we can build a, a Neanderthal uh, germ cell, and we are compatible in some ways. So there are some women that have already agreed to donate their wombs to grow a Neanderthal inside of and give birth to it. Wow. So, you know, it's entirely possible that the the um, the hominid is about to change dramatically because currently we are the only human species on the planet. But pretty soon there might actually be uh, another another kind of human if we if we decide that the Neanderthal is is going to grow inside of a of a, of a presently living human woman on this earth. We might have uh, some new old company in the hominid uh, landscape. Fucking hell, that'd be yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, interesting to see then the fucking athletes they produce. I remember as you were talking about earlier on, if there was a you know, if the the the, the Neanderthals seem to be a little more of a. Type I mean, look, I'll tell you, like I have a pretty high percentage of Neanderthal genes in me. Like, Are you, in, yeah. In looking and looking at my test results, I've got 65% more Neanderthal genes than the rest of the human population that's been evaluated. Wow. Um, and it's like, I know another guy who did the same thing who's at 95% more, and he is a strong dude who has like so much muscle mass on him that it's kind of like, well, that makes sense that you've got 95% more Neanderthal than everybody else. Because you are a freak. So uh, I, I don't know how much you can really look into that, but we do know that Neanderthals were heavily muscled, muscled like very large rib cage and thorax individ, indiv, individuals. So it's, um, 
I'll tell you, it's, it's, and I look, I, I'll tell you my, my, my truth, my ethics, it's all fair game. Fuck it. Let's just throw everything in the pot and mix it up and see what happens. Like, I just want to see what happens. Like, like uh, ethically, I don't know what's right or wrong, but I just think some things are cool and interesting and let's just see everything that's cool and interesting. Okay, it'd be very interesting to see like the profiles of some of the strongest powerlifters in the world. You know, like the likes of Eddie Hall and oh and, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be so interesting to see Eddie Hall, one hundred percent Neanderthal? <laughs> oh, that that explains a lot. I really think it does because you get these super strong people that aren't necessarily incredibly fast twitch, and it's like, well, how the hell are you so strong if you're like super slow twitch? And it's like, oh, because you are in fact. Neanderthal, probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Pat, we'll wrap this bad boy up because uh, I suppose, you know, well, not, not that I, I could, doesn't bother me, that's going on. As I said, I'll divide this up into two, maybe in three parts, but uh, just I suppose, probably like yourself, one or two things to do. And you probably have a fiance that you need to get back then. It's the weekend, so. Have a bit. No, I, see, this worked out really well. She came back in the middle of this thing, but, you know, she had morning yoga and she's doing like hair right now. Oh, so okay. it actually bought me a huge amount of time here. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, just for, uh, I can't just sit around in my underwear or something like that, but. But you can't, you can't on this because, I mean, it's only audio. So if you're in, if you're under, you're under, you mean you're not in your underwear? So I'm the only one. Well, you know, there's a shirt on, but, you know, what's going on below the region that the computer can see is anybody's guess. <laughs> You're my type of man, Pat Davidson, my type of man. Come here, uh, wh- where can the listeners connect with you? Uh, I know, I, I obviously, I, I know you through Facebook, um, but is there, yep. is there anywhere in particular? Uh, also, uh, I'll put links into the show notes in regards to where they can pick up the mask book and any future products or if you have any speaking arrangements for seminars. Actually, just to make note for yourself, I was literally, just as we were coming on, I, I was uh, Facebooking Jay DeMeo of uh, Central Sports Virginia, or what, yeah, Central... Central, sorry, Central yep. Central Virginia Sports Performance Seminar. Yeah, that's the one. And because I, I know Jay fairly well, he's actually coming to Dublin next week with Richmond. They're playing a, an exhibition game here. But I was I was messaging him and I, I was like, uh, we we're just talking back and forth. I was like, I gotta go. I'm interviewing Pat Davidson, and he wrote back and says he wants to get you down as one of the speakers in the future. So that'd be cool. Yeah, I want to get down there too. I mean, uh, Carl Valley tried to hook us up, and I'm I'm hoping that that works out because I'd love to go down there and speak. Oh, and, it's uh, so good. So I, I literally got the new downloads uh, just now, like uh, just like before I came on, which for 2016, I'm like can't wait to watch them, like Hank Crankoff and Carl yeah. and Randy Barr, and uh, I, I, even though I've, I've heard Buddy Buddy Moore speak a million times, I always just love listening to him. It's so funny, so funny. He did a podcast with Mike Roberts, and Mike just goes, I asked one question for the whole show, and that was it. He just went off. It's great when that happens. Oh, right? it's unreal! Right. It's unreal. I, I interviewed Paul Check on Wednesday, and I at the start I kind of I know kind of Paul because I interviewed him before, and I was like, Paul, I have eight questions, but I would imagine I only get one, maybe two asked, and I got I got two, and uh, that was it. Like, but he, he kind of answers very all your questions in that one. Do you know what I mean? He just goes off sure. for an hour. Yeah. So it was great. Like, but uh, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. So where can people connect with you? You're on Facebook, Twitter, I think. You know, I I am on Twitter. Yeah, but I only really use Facebook. Like it's just the, uh, it's just habit wise. It's the only one that I really use. Like I, I don't have a website. I just never really wanted to deal with it. Um, so the easiest and and look like, uh, I do. I've written a bunch of articles. Most of them are on Rebel Performance, mm-hmm. but they're like scattered throughout the the internet. Like I've got some on Show Me Strength and. Uh, 
there's a couple on Juggernaut, but but most of them are on Rebel. The the book Mass is available through RebelPerformance.com. Um, the the best way from Facebook is the primary interface that I'll use to kind of communicate with the world, though. Um, mainly because I, I I literally think it just like gets rid of the middleman in yeah. some ways. Like like my posts I look at as like uh, you know very few people want to read a lengthy article but they'll read like a short snippet, but I don't like, it's almost uh, like nobody wants to actually click the link to take you to the next thing from Facebook. So I've literally just turned Facebook into my, um, my, my outreach to the world and anything that's longer than a Facebook post, I think I'll just turn into a book, uh, and just eventually like just sell the book. But, um, but yeah, people that want to want to connect with me, that's, definitely the easiest way and it's under pat davidson some people have searched for my my full name patrick and it's it's just pat um generally i just like to be a fairly informal kind of person like i i've always liked diamonds in the rough more than i like the well presented like beautiful polished up version like like an old beat up car that can go 200 miles an hour to me is way cooler than like a brand new ferrari that can do the same thing so real informal, you know, every article I've ever written, I put my phone number and my email on there. If people want to get in touch with me, like, go ahead and send me a text message. It's, it's I'm, I'm really not unapproachable as a person. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely, uh, definitely vouch for that. I mean, for the listeners, like, Pat was so accommodating. Like, this is actually our second attempt to interview because the first time my fucking laptop was shitting itself in terms of the speaker. And, Pat didn't, Pat didn't have a great connection, so on both ends, like, it was like, literally it sounded like someone, like, had, like, a fucking met a hand over, like, our mouth speaking, so the audio was so bad, it was just like, right, but I want to get this right, and we're just after putting out two hours and 20 minutes of fucking savage gold, so I'm delighted we rescheduled, and Pat was so obliging, so. Uh, one last thing I'm going to say to you, check out the work of Jack Cruz, if you haven't, Pat, I think you'd really like him, Dr. Jack Cruz, you would really, okay. you would really fucking be into his shit, I, I, I'd say Ben, I'd be surprised if Ben House hasn't heard of him now. So maybe Ben already looks into it. Like his stuff is, he's he's doing some really good stuff. Like he was because I've I've studied a lot of physiology the last year because I started teaching the students at personal training college. A lot of what he has been saying is actually I'm finding out that it's making sense and that what he was saying was correct. Whereas before, like when I heard him like say three four years ago, he was so far ahead of me in terms of science. I was like I he could be talking absolute bullshit like and telling tell lies and I wouldn't know any different because my science is enough power like but the more i've learned and learned and learned i'm like he's making sense so you had, have you had ben house on your podcast i haven't yet? i haven't yet but I, i've seen his posts and uh and i've mainly it's it's, it's through you that i i got introduced to him um yeah and uh, like is he is he uh like is he an actual md or chiropractor or is he just done like functional medicine? like I, i've actually done some functional medicine courses myself that i've done the yeah. functional diagnostic nutrition and I did the Functional Medicine University, but that was just more so for my own knowledge to just, again, just to wipe, expand my own horizons of anything else. But I've, I've seen it. I've been impressed with what he puts out. All right. He's got a PhD from University of Texas. Wow. And uh, I, I don't know what all the functional medicine degrees things are. Like, I, I have no idea exactly what it is. Uh, I just, like, and look, like, you know, a lot of times, like, most chiropractors are probably not right to talk to. But, yeah. you know, Skip George, on the other hand, like, that dude is out of this world in terms of his knowledge, proficiency, professionalism. I mean, like, so it's like, 
you know, these, these categories we put people into oftentimes don't really give you a lot of information about who oh, they yeah. are. Like, like I don't, uh, personally myself, I don't give a, I don't give a shit. Like, 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 yeah. like for instance, like with, with Paul Check, the man that you fish high school, like, I don't give a shit about that. It's just, uh, in my eyes, it's like, if you can early, if you can early, like, it's that old saying, if you can't beat them, join them and nearly like sabotage them from the inside out. Cause Jack Bruce, for instance, he's actually, he was a dentist. Then he went back to medical school and became a neurosurgeon. And like, huh. and he and he's basically shitting all over conventional. <laughs> he he's shitting all over conventional medicine. He's like conventional, right. and like, and he's one of them. That's what I mean. Like, so it's yeah. just it's even better when it's one of them saying it. You know, kind of like. Right. Yeah, well, I, I mean that that just caught my interest big time. He said dentist and neurosurgeon. Yeah, he was that. a dentist, and he went back and he became a neurosurgeon, and he's done he's, he, he's done a, a fantastic work with like basically. He to give you like a summary of him. He he was extremely obese, and he stood up at a conference back in the mid two thousands to give a talk, and he tore his knee cartilage. And mm. and this woman came up and said, "I know why you tore your knee cartilage. I'm going to send you seven or whatever six seven research papers in a book." And she sent him the book, the monk that sold his Ferrari, and these seven papers or six papers all to do with leptin resistance. And he just got into this thing about leptin, and eventually leptin just led into this whole thing like leptin resistance, circadian biology, cold thermogenesis, the adaptation of the human species to warm and cold environments. And he's just gone down this rabbit hole then. And he's just written these like absolute monster fucking series. It's like, like they're like 18 part, 20 part series. Like one series would be on like mitochondria, one would be on cold thermogenesis, one would be on circadian biology, one would be on the quantum effect, one would be on, and he's just linking all this shit together. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And he has this thing called the leptin reset, where it's basically you, you eat a seasonal, a seasonal paleolithic diet. Like he just, it's not a paleo diet, he just a paleolithic, but it's a seasonal diet, and it's big on the the light, your light and dark exposures, and very big on your temperature exposures. And he uses a lot of cold therapy to reverse diseases and all. It's mad shit. Like like when you hear it first, you're like, I don't know if this is horse. Like circadian biology is fact. Like there's no question about that. I knew all right. that, but the other stuff he was talking about, I was like. I can't say like, but because I'm a huge, I'm a huge, huge, huge circadian biology guy. Like blue light, uh, uh, if you get exposed to blue light at the wrong times, it fucks you up from a physiological standpoint. Um, so like you, you know, need to have Ben House on then. Yeah, yeah, I will get in touch with Ben. Like sounds like sounds like we're on similar wavelengths. You know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's it. You guys should just have the whole thing on on that. I, well, I don't want to limit it, but I'm just saying like. Oh, that's gonna be like I. I want to listen to that if that happens. <laughs> I want to be there. Well, like we can make this a fucking three part, no problem. We just get Ben on. Travis is fucking bang it out. I mean, I'm down. Okay, yeah, let's make that happen. So let's make that happen. You're you're better mates with him, so he might uh, he might if you say to him, he might be more obliged than if if I. Well, I'll contact him anyway, but. Um, Pat, this has been absolutely fucking unbelievable. Thank you so much. This is all. This is the second longest podcast ever. The longest podcast ever was James Smith, the Thinker. It went on for three hours. Huh. It was it was an epic show. I, I divided into three parts, so and I got actually unbelievable feedback from that show. He, he's a he's a cool dude when it comes to training. Like he's a deep deep thinker. You, you, uh, have you ever interacted with James? Have you? Never met him. You know, I, it's funny. Like I read, you know, like I like I was saying, I got into this game, and the first thing I really looked at was West Side Bar stuff so i read like everything that elite fts had and uh you know he wrote a ton for them back then mm. and um you know reading his stuff it, it literally just felt like i was reading a, a russian textbook you yeah. know what i mean it was like the same kind of words and like cadence and everything and it, it like really helped push me into wanting to read 
the, the Russian manuals and multi-year developmental strategies and all that kind of stuff. But I, I honestly have not read his stuff or really followed his stuff in 12 years. Yeah, he, uh, he, uh, his, his, applied, his applied sprint manual came out last year, and it's fantastic. It's very, very good. I had him on. We talked about that but. He he's definitely another kindred spirit. You you guys will get on really well. That he because he's a unique background too. His original background is music and history. He's and he's purely self taught in terms of sports science, and his knowledge is just fucking incredible. Um, well, I mean, I feel yeah, I do feel the same. Like I like I I was purely history, and then I got into this and like the structure of my academics of what I actually learned from like the formal education standpoint compared to what I've learned through the informal self teaching. I would generally categorize myself as a self-taught person in this. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's crazy. Me, yeah, me too. I, I actually literally just applied for, I've no degree. I didn't even finish high school in Ireland. We call it secondary school. I didn't even finish it. I dropped out early because, again, just probably like yourself. Now, I didn't do any recreational drugs or never really drank, but I was same same as you. I, was in, I always just say, listen, I was a young kid. I was immature, like, everyone's parents haven't a fucking clue what they're at. They're fucked up by their parents who are fucked up by their parents. It's the blind leading the blind. So like I'm at a, I'm, I'm at a stage now where I can reflect back and have compassion and empathy and love and understanding for my parents. Mm. Like, you know, they, they, they just did the best they could with the, 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 the tools they had in their toolbox at that time. They didn't know what, how to deal with me or what to do at that stage. You know? So I had no role models growing up. And like, so I was completely an immature little fucker. Like, so I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I, and like I don't know like I always say to people but I wouldn't change a thing because it's maybe the person I am now like you know so uh, I, I appreciate my life even more for it now that I went through all the times experiences probably like you do when you were younger you know oh, but, yeah. but um, yeah I mean that uh, that's that's yeah that's the way the way it is you know so I just completely well, completely lost my train of thought there it's been fantastic I'm yeah. gonna go run some uh, some Charlie Francis style tempo runs. Oh yeah, in Just, like the 90 degree New York City uh, mugginess that's existing out here. But I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. What I was gonna say was I, I that's where my train of thought went. I was about to say to you because I hate when I lose my train of thought. Sometimes it happens and annoys me because it makes me feel like I can get old and I'm like getting Alzheimer's. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, because I was saying I'm like you. I'm mostly self-taught. I dropped out of school, but literally this week I just applied for a non-graduate entry to a, a master's in strength and conditioning. So, mm. but but I, I would also consider myself self-taught for the most part. Because and I also had to shoes. The shoes like like they ask, where did you go to college? Like I'm purely self-taught. And they're like you learned all this physiology. It's like you just read a textbook. Uh, that's why Go Go Will Hunting, my favorite movie. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's like people are always like, well, how do you know this? And I'm like. I've read it. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I just, I just, every day I read mm -hmm. and I read a lot and I, I end up reading more the older I get. And, um, I don't know where half of this, like, I can't remember what book I pulled some stuff from or like, but it's, it's like, it's not as complicated as people want to make it out to be. Yeah. Read a book today and, uh, and, and, have that book sort of like point out things that you don't know about and that you think are cool and then read another book based on those things and just keep ping-ponging and before you know it, you'll know a whole bunch. Hey, just one one real quick thing because you mentioned tempo ones one, and you're the perfect person to ask or one of the perfect person. So one of Charlie's things with that was he says it heats motor neurons and decreases electrical interference tempo ones. Have you ever seen any proof for that? Say it again. Like one, one reason... Oh, oh. I know what you're talking about. 
He said that uh, he's. I hear like Buddy say this, and like you know, that right. I, I understand the mitochondria capillary thing. That's definitely if you read any physiology textbook, they'll say that will happen when you do temple type stuff. Um, so there seems to be evidence for that. But the other one was that it, it seems to heat your motor neurons and that that decreases electrical interference in the nervous system, which then like will will speed up the recovery of the CNS. Like I've never seen anything to. Okay, so I a couple of things on this. Uh, number one, if you go through super training, and I have no idea where in super training this is, but I remember it pretty distinctly. Uh, neural, it's probably in the restoration section, uh, which is towards the end of it. Uh, in terms of neural restoration, heat has been shown, and I don't know what studies they had, but, it, you know, essentially hot showers have, have been pretty good in regards to restoration of neural-based factors. Mm. So, so like heat and restoration of the nervous system from that part of super training, I remember being specifically linked together. Now, I don't know what the quality of the science behind that, that statement is. Uh, someone would have to go back in there and look at what source Sif and Vernokoshansky cite to, to be able to make that kind of a statement. But uh, what Charlie Francis was talking about was that uh, ultimately blood is the conductor of heat in, the, in biological organisms. Mm -hmm. So if I'm able to have greater vascularity going through tissues, I'll have deeper networks to be able to carry blood to, it's like, it's just more roads going into the tissue. So if I'm talking about quadriceps and hamstrings and I do things like tempo runs that develop the, the factors associated with aerobic performance, I will lay down new capillary networks in those muscles. Mm -hmm. And I'll also increase my total blood volume in the organism as an adaptation to oxidative training. So if I've got more blood and more avenues to be able to get the blood to, to more specific and deeper regions of the muscle tissue, I will ultimately lead to a place where the heat of that tissue is greater simply because heat travels in blood. Um, I think that it's going to, you're never going to find a research paper that will test that because it's like, it's just one of those, I don't know how you'd even test that. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. how you'd experimentally set that up. I, I didn't think there would be. It's just, again, that, you know, just, uh, again, like, I mean, it's like, I mean, if you're going to be consistent and true to your word, then just because Charlie said it doesn't mean you should accept it. Because then, then we'd be contradicting ourselves about what we said earlier on, like, yeah. not being dogmatic or blindly believing anyone. But yet, you know, we can because again we're an emotional species. We sometimes because oh, we're like, well, I have this emotional attachment to Charlie because I love Charlie, I love his stuff. But yeah, you still need to be able to step back and say, but I still question this. You know, still be able to question something. Yeah. So. And sometimes science, like sometimes the best you can have is a good theory. Yeah. And and a, a good experiment would be one that kind of confirms the theory. And if the experiment doesn't actually line up with the theory. You would have to actually take a look. So it's like dogmatic. I, I earlier said like, you know, uh, in God we trust and all others must bring data. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're going – like I think we can all say evolution is a good theory. Mm. And if you do a study and the data is like totally contradictory to the principles of evolution, 
your best bet is probably to actually look at the study and wonder about like the method methodological principles that led to that data collection. And I think in this particular example, it's like you have to be able to start with some basic premises like in the human body, heat is dumped into blood and then blood carries heat to important locations. If it is hot, blood will move towards the skin and periphery so that I can dump heat into the environment so that the core of my body is protected against overheating. Uh, like that's a good basic place to start. And um, if I go ahead and go through aerobic training, I know that some of the adaptations involve increasing the number of blood vessels specific to the tissues that I train and that the total amount of blood available in the organism will increase. As a result of this, from like a, a deductive thinking approach, I could make these sorts of conclusions like my muscles should be hotter as a result of more blood being available and being available deeper and more specifically entrenched within those, those three-dimensional spaces. And then if I know things about electrical conductance, such as, as temperature increases, electrical velocity increases according to Ohm's laws, then I should be able to then extrapolate further and say, if I can increase aerobic fitness in your legs, I will essentially be able to make electricity travel down your axons of motor neurons faster. Mm. As a result of that, there'll be a better conductance of the chemical information of acetylcholine being released from uh, the quanta storage units at the motor end plate and the, the overall transmission time of uh, neuromuscular communication should be improved resulting ultimately in like greater force production and less energy lost as useless heat. Yeah, definitely. No, that's the exact, uh, exactly what I wanted to get into there. That was unreal. So Pat, listen, this has been a fucking monster, a bear of a podcast. It's been absolutely fucking savage. Uh, this has been brilliant. So one of the best shows I've ever had. Definitely one of my favorites today anyway. So just, uh, just literally stay on for like 30 more seconds. And I'll wrap up the end. So for everyone listening, what a fucking absolute marathon of a podcast. So for you listening, this is probably part three at this stage. So if you listen to all parts, fair play to you. But I want to thank Pat so much. Definitely going to get him back on, probably with Ben Hill, so we can have another monster podcast among the three of us to talk about blue light and crazy shit and like genetic fucking modification and how the Chinese will take over the Olympics or something like that. Uh, so guys, thanks for listening. Um, again, I'll put all Pat's details in the show notes in terms of his Facebook uh, contacts and social media and also where you can pick up his book, Mass, and any other things that will be relevant information by the time I release these podcasts. So thanks so much. Keep downloading the podcast. Keep leaving reviews. I'll talk to you soon. Take care and stay strong. Mm-hmm.